Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today? Another blessed day, praising the Lord. Amen to that, brother. And I am so excited about this special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show, where we are interviewing Dr. Gordon Nickel and his book, The Gentle Answer to the Muslim Accusation of Scriptural Falsification. He's an Islamic scholar, and why not ask him, has the Bible, according to the Quran, been corrupted? Dr. Gordon Nickel has written a book that I believe is very profound. And one of the reasons I'm bringing this book up specifically is because the impact it's had on me and because I've used this out on the streets, sharing the gospel with my Muslim neighbor. And The Gentle Answer, this book right here, I, before I even get into the full title, what, why, why are you naming it the, the gentle answer, Dr. Nickel? Right. Yeah, well, uh, you've surely noticed in your ministry as well of uh, engaging with Muslim friends that, you know, if, we, if we're shouting at them, uh, arguing with them, insisting on things, and, uh, you know, some of us get red in the face and, you know, it starts, starts to show that who wants to listen to that, right? <laughs> Who's going to listen to that? And, uh, in fact, the, the word of God says, uh, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you talk about things that are important and controversial where there, there's disagreement? The other thing is uh, in First Peter 3, verse 15, a uh, um, very familiar verse to Christians. Um, you know, we, we reverence the Lord Jesus in our hearts as Lord. And if we're called to give an answer for our faith, uh, you got to answer with gentleness and respect. And these things really uh, impressed me in God's word. And I thought, okay, what would that look like in um, in talking with Muslims about things that initially we don't agree about, right? How can we... The other thing is, um, our gospel is a gospel of peace. Mm. And it doesn't go together with somebody who's red in the face and shouting. At least that's... They don't go together. They don't match. So how can we match that gospel of peace in the way that we deliver it? That's that's amazing, and I think this book is is so important. And I was I was explaining uh, pre-show with Doctor Nickel that I had originally heard about this book, "The Gentle Answer to the Muslim Accusation of Biblical Falsification." I had originally heard it in another book that was introductory to Islam, and an entire chapter was spent on this idea that. The Quran may not actually teach that the Bible has been, quote-unquote, corrupted, something that if you're sharing the gospel on the streets with with Muslims, you're going to probably hear that at some point. 
<laughs> I would almost guarantee it if you have any length of conversation and the Bible comes up. So this is such an important work. And I know that when I was reading that book and then I got this book, The Gentle Answer, I then remembered once I got the commentary, that name, Dr. Gordon Nickel. And I said, wow, this is awesome that he's written this book as well, especially because I do love the tone, the the, uh, the non-polemical way that you go about it, but answering these accusations. And in fact, I, 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 the name is, uh, is missing, I'm missing the name here, but you are answering a book that attacks the Bible as corrupt or falsified, and it says in that very book that there is no answer that can be given to it, but you, Dr. Nickel, have decided to do the undoable and answer it in this book. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems uh, it seems unlikely, but Lord can, <laughs> the Lord can help us, right? Amen. Um, the, the book that you're mentioning there is um, a polemical book that was written, wow, 150 years ago in India when um, Christian missionaries were preaching the gospel and they got quite a pushback from some of the Muslim leaders. Um, 150 years ago, you think that then nobody knows it or talks about it, but what happened was it was uh, translated into various languages and it was it's translated in a very uh, sort of uh, spicy, salty way into the Urdu language, and till today, it circulates around India in an Urdu translation. Mm. And you go, you know, you go door to door in the in the villages uh, preaching the gospel. You go to the mosque to see what's up with the uh, imam, and uh, when he hears that you're preaching the gospel, he reaches behind him to the bookshelf without looking, and pulls out this book. Wow! And lays it on the table and sort of, you know, case closed. I mean, <laughs> he's lost. And so I thought, at my friends in India, uh, especially one special convert named uh, Asghar Ali, said, you know, Gord, you you have a PhD. What are you doing with that PhD? You know, how are you using that PhD? You can read all these languages. Uh, come help us, you know, that we're feeling terrible under this polemic that people are pulling out of this book they're just laughing at us they're mocking us mm. they're insulting us we feel terrible like and so i i was teaching in canada at the time and i thought well how how do you do this right but um, my wife and i finally decided by faith to take that step and the lord helped us and uh, we were able to i worked at it for three years and we were able to publish that book so yeah it's uh it's a, it's as you said, uh, this will come up in your conversation if it's meaningful at all. This is one of the favorite things that Muslims say to to knock you knock you down or actually take take away the Bible from under you. Sort of, uh, it it's it's a way of saying the Bible has nothing to say because it's all corrupt or falsified. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and I, I believe. One of the reasons this happens, obviously, is because the Bible is contradictory to the teachings of the Quran concerning what Jesus, Yeshua, versus who they would have in Isa in the Quran, and also even how we're saved and the confidence of salvation that we have. And so you would see how this would lend 
somebody apologetically as an as a Muslim needing to have an answer for the reason there's some differences and some contradictory statements, but that's not what we find in the Quran according to the gentle answer. And you actually, in chapter two, you mentioned that the Quran has a respectful view of the Bible. So maybe, you know, you don't have to go too long, but, you know, what are some Quranic texts that you would point to in order to prove that the Quran is actually respectful concerning the Bible? Sure. Uh, there's a number of uh, things that we could say there. Um, whenever the Quran actually names the Bible, and it does does so in three uh, Arabic words. One is uh, Taurat. Now, that sounds a lot like Torah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Injil, which uh, you can see how that's connected with the Greek euangelium, or the uh, the gospel. And then Zabur, which is the word they use for Psalms. Now, they don't know these scriptures well. Um, in the Quran, the, the, the Quran doesn't seem to know what's in these scriptures. But whenever it names these scriptures, it's always in the most positive and respectful ways. Now, the verses that a Muslim friend may pull out to insist that the Bible is corrupt are are other kinds of verses that don't name who is acting, don't name which book we're talking about, don't name exactly what happened, and don't name exactly what might have been changed or corrupted. Um, but, uh, so there's many like that. And then there's a, a whole, uh, series of verses, which, uh, say, uh, no one can change, uh, God's word. No one can change God's word. Um, and I've used these, uh, you know, because why not? Uh, <laughs> they, they're very explicit. Uh, Muslims may not accept them, but I use these verses to, uh, from the, from the Quran itself. Not because I believe that the Quran is true, but my Muslim friend believes it's true. So to show these kinds of things to the Muslim friend on the basis that he gives it authority, I think is something that uh, that we can do. It may, may make people stop and think about it. Yeah, I think this is a great place to, to mention as we're talking about this, understanding the the answer that is given in this book, the gentle answer, I think understanding it and and getting a real grasp for these texts that are in their canon, that are in their scripture, and then be able to address them and say, wait a second, if, if this is the view of the Quran concerning the scriptures, you should probably listen to what the scriptures, the Bible, sorry, the Bible has to say. And so where would they have gotten this idea where where would Muslims along the way, and maybe you can even name uh, when this happened or, or, or when it started to be something of their polemic against Christianity? When did their when did it start? And maybe who started this idea that the Bible's actually been corrupted? Yeah, uh, it started in polemic. That is that kind of uh, talking that tries to aim at, tries to attack the roots of the faith. Um, imagine the Arab conquest or the Muslim conquest and the armies going out of Arabia to conquer uh, what is now Israel, to conquer what is now Iraq and Iran, to conquer uh, Egypt. When it came to all these places, there were lots of Christians and Jews. I mean, it's it's hard to think of it now, 
But in the 7th century, when Islam began, there were large communities of Christians right across the Middle East uh, with the scriptures in their own languages, etc. Now, what would happen if you had a faith that said, as it says, for example, in the 7th Surah 157, if you uh, took from your scripture, hey, you guys, uh, we conquered you now. Uh, did you know also that your scriptures talk about uh, our messenger? And uh, Christians and Jews say, uh, what, where, where? I didn't see anything about your messenger. And uh, so what would that kind of answer um uh, what kind of response would that answer get? You're the conqueror, and here your conquered um, people are saying you're wrong about whether Muhammad is in the Bible or not. And so it produced two different responses. One was to actually get to know the Bible a bit and find verses that could be interpreted as um, prophecies of Muhammad. And the other was just to say, maybe not having the patience to go through the Bible, to say, okay, if you guys say it's not there, then you changed it. You corrupted it. You took it out because you didn't want to acknowledge our messenger, right? So just for the listeners, uh, I'm, I'm using the word messenger rather than Muhammad a lot because um, when Muslims use the word Muhammad, they like to follow it with a with an expression that I cannot say authentically. So is it okay if I just say messenger, messenger of Islam? Is that okay? Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And I'm, I'm glad you did explain that uh, to them as well. And, and typically, if you're sharing the gospel with a Muslim, even if they say uh, Jesus, and they'll sometimes do that to have conversational rather than Isa, which is what is in the, the Quran, typically it will be followed with a peace uh, be upon him, which is what you were mentioning uh, in terms of saying it authentically to uh, uh, about Muhammad. And so, you know, with with that all happening and, and knowing that they needed this polemic, what did we actually find? Because I know in chapter four of Dr. Gordon Nichols' book, The Gentle Answer, you actually mentioned the earliest commentaries of the Quran. I believe they're, they're referred to as uh, tafsirs, the earliest commentaries. What do they have to say concerning the Bible, the Torah, the Injil, the, and, and the Psalms as well? What, what, are, what do the earliest commentators have to say? Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's tafsir, as you said it, uh, the commentaries. And uh, yeah, this was the blessing that when I went for a PhD, I happened to uh, study with a, a professor who was one of the pioneers in the earliest commentaries. That is, some of those manuscripts were just being uh, discovered then, around 2000. I mean, imagine, after so many years. And so I got to read that commentary in Arabic and, and translate the parts I needed. And, um, wow, what a, what a great chance to um, find out what these early commentators said. And this is what they said. Uh, when they, there were two verses where they usually raised the accusation of falsification. And they said something like this. They said, listen, um, the Jews and Christians didn't want to acknowledge Muhammad when he appeared. They didn't want to acknowledge that messenger. So uh, the prophecies that were there with them, the mention of this uh, messenger, they they erased or they changed. 
So actually, the, the central point was about the messenger of Islam. This was the point. It wasn't like that, you know, they were arguing about Son of God or the death of Jesus, which are also um, crucial. Uh, the commentary said this is about specifically uh, uh, an alleged mention of the messenger of Islam in the Bible, which Jews and Christians then changed, erased, and thus falsified their scriptures. Wow. Now, I, I, I want to ask you, you know, concerning, you also write about why we can trust the New Testament in Dr. Gordon yeah. Nichols' The Gentle Answer. Why do you believe we can trust the New Testament specifically? Oh, that's uh, that's a great uh, question, and uh, we can talk for a long time about that. But I think that's very important to bring this up. We don't base what we're saying on the Quran. We're, again, it's not that we believe the Quran is true. Uh, whether the Quran says good or bad things about the Bible doesn't make them good or bad. Um, what we're what we want to do is get a get a hearing for the Bible so that we can give the truth. Out of, uh, out of the Bible, out of the Gospel. And um, in this section, I went over some of the accusations that were in this polemical book. It's called uh, Izhar al-Haq, Izhar al-Haq. Um, and I thought, how, how can I explain these things uh, from scholarship on the Bible that, that, uh, that is really helpful to answer those uh, questions. Um, one of the things that I found was just the reliability of the New Testament. Now, why do we say it's so reliable? Let's talk. start with the Gospel accounts. Here are four accounts uh, written within, let's say, 30 to 70 years after the death, death and resurrection of Jesus, which are unanimous on the death of Jesus, on the resurrection of Jesus, on his beautiful teachings, on his healings, all the information that we have about Jesus in the New Testament. And this is um, eyewitness testimony. That is not, uh, it's, it's either from people who saw it or people who reported others who had seen it. And so if you think of uh, eyewitness testimony, and uh, some Muslim scholars have even started to understand this. How can you hold an account reliable? How, that's in the distant past, like 2,000 years ago. Um, it has to be through a report of um, eyewitness testimony. Sometimes the, the writers of the New Testament say, we heard it, we saw it, even we touched it, right? Uh, this is, these are, are things that you can rely on produce an account that is true and stands the test of time. That's one of the points there. We could uh, open other points. Perhaps you have have one that uh, you like as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely love talking about this subject, talking the canon of Scripture, why we can trust it. Uh, I think the resurrection is a great place to start, especially when you think of 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul basing, uh, you know, his credentials. You know, why, you know, if we preach you know, my preaching is in vain if not for the resurrection. So even in terms of the scriptural content and writing to these churches, I think that is really, really amazing. And one of the things that 
I've noticed is that textual critical scholarship or just critical scholarship as a whole has been very strenuous on the Bible and and whether believe from the believing and non-believing crowd as well. And so when I look at textual criticism from a Bible standpoint, it's something that like we would say it is the the Bible is the anvil that has broken many hammers. And so over and over again, you know, you seem to see that every time uh, the Bible's been criticized, it's actually it all we've learned is more and had more evidence. And as we find more mm-hmm. manuscripts, more evidence. I would love to hear, and we got about eight minutes left, I believe, on the show. I would love to hear what you would think would would take place if the same amount of scrutiny was applied to the Quran. Sure. Uh, and that's the third section of four sections in The Gentle Answer. Um, you know, in my PhD studies, I became familiar with all kinds of things I couldn't use in my, in my dissertation, but uh, were very, very interesting to me. That is, uh, modern scholars uh, studying the Quran in the same way that critical scholars have studied the Bible. Now, uh, critical study of the Bible goes, goes back more than 200 years. We're used to it. We know all about it. Uh, but for the Quran, it may only go back uh, several decades. Mm-hmm. And one, one scholar wrote in 1977, he says, it hasn't started yet. And so um, when you're talking with a Muslim and the Muslim friend wants to accuse the Bible of all kinds of problems, and there he can draw on, on all kinds of books uh, written in the uh, United States that uh, seem to back up what he's saying, right? He's, he's uh, reporting from scholars that, that take um, a sort of uh, antagonism toward the, toward the Bible. And so um, with, the, with the Quran, it's barely started. And so now it's going strong. There's a lot more studies in the past 30, 40 years. And what they, what they show is that there are many, many uh, questions about the Quran and how it came together. Uh, even perhaps more than with the New Testament. Uh, I'll give you one example. Remember I said before that the Arabic script is mainly consonants. Yes. Well, but, but the Greek text of the New Testament is, uh, is a text that has all the, all the vowels and uh, consonants, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, yes, we have um, uh, differences among, uh, um, differences among the manuscripts, but uh, textual criticism, like the, the science that, that's specifically called textual criticism, takes various manuscripts together and reads them all, and then through, through a science establishes the original text. Uh, that's what, what we have largely in our, in our Greek New Testaments that we might use in seminary. Uh, the Quran doesn't have any kind of uh, critical text where all the variants are named. And according to its story, uh, it says that the third caliph after Muhammad uh, actually destroyed all the manuscripts that didn't agree with his. And so you can't even do textual criticism if that is true. Uh, But uh, here we have a a, a big difference. One other difference I would say. Um, Some Christian scholars like uh, Keith Small and Dan Brubaker, another big scholar, have said there was a point at which someone in the early years of Islam corrected manuscripts to conform 
it was a standard text. And uh, so they say that uh, uh, there was there was people working on it at the time. And so um, there there was there was power from above that is the caliph, the ruler was seems to have been ordering a, a standardization of the manuscripts. Whereas in our faith, uh, Christians never had that kind of political power to uh, to do that. Uh, they were out there uh, sharing their faith and, and living the faith. Uh, they had no rights in the Roman Empire, and they had no power to standardize text. And so what you have is uh, the, the agreement of tr- uh, church leaders during the 2nd and 3rd century about the texts of those books and which books would be included in the New Testament. So there's there's a lot of uh, differences there. And if uh, anyone's listening that, that is curious and has, a, has the chance to study, uh, just say this uh, personally, um, consider the call to, to help out God's people by getting to know these things well and sharing your um, uh, teaching with them. There's a lot of things that are yet to be studied and revealed uh, that uh, are just waiting there. Um, so, well, I'm getting excited here, so I'll, I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. We got only about three minutes left, and I'm here once again with Dr. Gordon Nickel, the author of The Gentle Answer to the Muslim Accusation of Scriptural Falsification, as well as The Quran with Christian Commentary. And, I, you know, Dr. Nickel, I want to give you two minutes. If you were in front and and you were sharing, hopefully this is over dinner and not just on the streets, but you're sharing with a Muslim and you're trying to get him to read the scriptures and express to him through the Quran specifically that it has not been falsified. Could you do that in two minutes and explain it to our audience so that they would be able to pass this on as well? Uh, That's a good idea to put it in within two minutes because sometimes that's all you get. (laughs) <laughs> when you're witnessing. Amen. But um, I would really stick with the love of God because love is something special in the gospel. It's not out there in all religions. It, it's special in the gospel that God loved us so much that he showed in history at a definite time and place that he loved us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that message of God's love and him showing this love to us and what I, I would all also include is uh, if you if you need to use the Quran, uh, go ahead and use those verses that speak very highly of the Torah and, and gospel. However, if you don't need to use the Quran, don't use it. Use the Word of God. Amen. Let let the Word of God rem- uh, um, recommend itself, and all the good things that the New Testament says about the Word of God. Uh, give those first. If your friend maybe isn't thinking about the Quran right away. Well, don't, don't bring it up. Uh, stick with the Word of God, because the Word of God has power. Amen. I could not agree with you more. We have been talking with Dr. Gordon Nickel, author of not only The Gentle Answer, which does answer such an important topic concerning what is known as the falsification of the Bible, as well as the Quran with Christian commentary. Dr. Nickel, I have been absolutely blessed by this conversation. I believe that it will be so fruitful for everyone that is listening to this. And I just want to encourage you guys, go check these books out, get them, and go share the gospel. Love the Lord and love the people that he died for. God bless. 
You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.